We're going to take a uh, trip. Um, uh, you can check it out on the map. The map that's on the screen. Uh, so let's let's talk about it. We're going to be zeroing on Sarajevo, in Bosnia, 1992, and you can see across the Adriatic Sea is Italy, and Paul's over here. <laughs> Paul was in Italy. He was in Rome. Remember? Yeah, so just keeping a biblical world view, man. Um, and Greece over here, Philippi is over here, the Macedonian uh, churches are over there. So it's good. It's good to, to look at a map. That's where we're going. We're going to Sarajevo, the spring of 1992. And at that time in history, the city of... Uh, capital city of Bosnia was besieged by the Yugoslav People's Army. Some of you may, in remembering history, um, what a brutal war that was. And the siege of Sarajevo would last over 1,400 days, which was just under four years. It's a long time. But anyway, on May 27th of 1992, innocent civilians were standing in a breadline when a bombshell exploded and the blast killed 22 people, leaving a huge crater in the center of the city. In moments after the blast, a man named uh, Vedran Smilovich ran to the scene, but he wasn't sure what to do. He wasn't a medic, he wasn't a firefighter, he wasn't a soldier, so what would he do? Well, Vedran... Uh, Smilovich was a principal cellist in the Sarajevo opera. So all he had was his cello. What difference could he make with a cello? Well, that day after the disaster on May 28th, Vedran put on his tuxedo, he grabbed his cello, climbed into the crater, sat down on a scorched chair and began to play. He played for 22 straight days, one day for each of the victims. The cellist made music in craters, in the rubble of bombed-out buildings. The city of Sarajevo at that time was under siege by shells and snipers. Uh, your life was at risk, man, for sure. And so why would Vedran risk his life to make music? In his own words, this is what he said, my weapon was my cello. Interesting. We're going to take a look at Philippians 4 and tie this all together as the Apostle Paul being under house arrest um, could identify with his weapon. And we're going to talk more about a weapon that each one of us as followers of Christ have. So let's go. Um, let's pick it up at verse um, uh, Verse 14. Chapter 4, even so you have done well to share with me, Paul says, in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. 
I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. What a privilege it is to, to read it, to speak about it. Lord, we know that your word is always speaking. It's always communicating to those who listen. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask for your involvement this morning, those watching online, those in this auditorium, that we will allow you to speak. We need to hear from you today, Lord. We need your help. We need you. And we thank you that you're faithful. You're a faithful God. In Jesus' name, amen. In your notes, you'll see uh, Corey Ten Boom, and yeah, we've, we've landed on her quite a bit lately, but I tell you, I see really coming out of Ravensbrook concentration camp, I think God did something special in her through her suffering. And uh, she said, I have held many things in my hands and I have lost them all, but whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. And uh, in our world today, it seems like um, maybe things that we once possessed, they're disappearing. Our culture is changing rapidly. And so what Corey says is true. What we place in God's hands, we still possess. And I'm glad about that. God is faithful. And you and I... Listen now, you and I were born on a battlefield. We're not in Sarajevo today, but we're right here. And you and I were born on a battlefield uh, between good and evil. And I was thinking about this, the time, the date that I was born, our, our world was different. And being a follower of Christ in America, eh, there wasn't really any pushback. I mean... There was a biblical understanding in our, in our culture at the time, and, and you could just move around freely. But I can tell you today, that has shifted in a, in a big way. And there's a lot of people that have no idea what the Bible has to say or what's in it. And so we have to live that out in front of them to present an accurate picture, right? That's a, that's a good responsibility that we take seriously. And so um, we, can, we, we can symbolically see there's a lot of craters in our world, in our culture, in our neighborhoods, right? There's a lot of craters. There's a lot of devastation going on. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering. And... Um, just yesterday, I received this newsletter from Ann Graham Lotz, I, the daughter of Billy Graham. I respect her. I've read many of her books. She writes, I can almost hear the echo of the battering ram that is destroying Americans' foundation of faith as I read the following statement by the president 
of Barna Research. This is what he wrote. With each passing year, the percent of Americans who believe that the Bible is just another book written by men increases. So too do the perceptions that the Bible is actually harmful and that people who live by its principles are religious extremists. She continues, we can see the evidence of it in the soaring rate of violent crime, in the toxic public discourse, in truth that is spun as lies and lies that are spun as truth, in the sharp decline in church attendance, in the breakdown of trust in our national institutions and government leaders, in the homelessness and hopelessness of thousands living on the streets in our major cities, in the plague of fentanyl and other illicit drugs, and the list goes on and on. What can you and I do? What could Vedran Smilovich do in Sarajevo back in 1992? He did something, didn't he? And she asked the question, what can you and I do as followers of Christ today? We are in an epic spiritual battle. Therefore, in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, she writes, our weapons are not worldly, they are spiritual weapons of prayer in God's word. And she concludes, so first and foremost, we need to pray for the next generation. Pray against the unseen spirits that are trying to hijack the faith of those who come after us. Then we need to be intentional as we seek to pass on the truth by our example and our words. It's good, huh? It's very good. And Graham Lotz knows what time it is. To you. So, that's why we get fired up over what Paul writes in Philippians. Um, somebody put it this way, and you, we've said it, you can take the world but give me Jesus. There's a song like that. And I was thinking how, how you say that line. You, you could say it jaded like, you can take the world, man. Just give me Jesus. Now, let me tell you something. That's pretty hard. That, that's a calloused response. In other words, you could, you could blow up everybody else, but you, you're going to take Jesus, you know, you're going to go in your little bubble, and you're going to try and survive, right? That's a dangerous place to be. And I hope as followers of Christ at Life Church, we can say, you can take the world. I'm not going to let the world influence me, but I'm going to take Jesus. And because I'm taking Jesus, I'm going to model him to everybody around me. You see the difference there? So we have to be careful that we don't get beat up and, oh man, my grandson, oh yay, yay. My son sent me a picture yesterday. The dude was just messed up, man. He ran into stuff and he's got an infection and he's watching online right now too. So it's a sad day in America. He's all beat up. Listen, we have to guard our hearts. And that's why it's so important that we stay reading God's word. And we stay 
in a place where we worship and we praise Jesus Christ, our Savior and the Savior of the world. Ephesians 3.20, now all glory to God. I'm kind of, this fits perfect with verse 20, and we're not there yet in in Philippians, but in Ephesians, it's really good. So all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work. That word power is dynamis, and we Paul uses it in, in Philippians, dynamite, power. That's the power that's resident in you as a follower of Christ. His, his, God's mighty power at work within us. Think about that. He is working within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. So, playing a cello in a crater in Sarajevo or being a worshiper, being a follower of Christ, that's what we can do. Let's do it well. Not perfect, but let's do it well. Perfection's not going to happen until we get to heaven, so, yeah. Um, So this same God who's ruling the nations, I'm diverting a little bit here, but... I've been in Jeremiah. I was in Jeremiah, out of Jeremiah, went to Ezekiel, I'm back in Jeremiah. And how God spoke to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon to come into Jerusalem and burn it. God used, God, God spoke to Jeremiah and said, Nebuchadnezzar is my servant. Think about that. He's my servant. And I'm sending him into my city where my temple resides. And he's going to destroy it. Okay. So God rules, man. He rules and he reigns. And he's ruling and reigning right now. And hopefully he's ruling and reigning in your life, in my life. King Jesus! We have a song on that, don't we? King Jesus, rule and reign in my life. I give you permission. So, so to think that this God of the universe and this God who, who is setting things in motion, countries and all, it's all under his control, man. He's uncontrolled. He's not freaking out. That he is intimately involved in your life. Aren't you glad for that? He knows everything about you. And he still loves you. So we are here for such a time as this, and we are here for such a place as this. Think about that. God has strategically placed you. Just like God strategically placed Paul under house arrest in Rome to influence the military community in Rome. Rome, the number one world power of the day. Paul was good with that. And Lord, we're good with you placing us here in 2022 to make a difference. So a quick review in your, in your outline. We're going to go to number three. See, we're breaking the rules. You're supposed to go to number one. We're going to number three. Live to give for others, verses 14 through 16. Even so, you've done well to share, Paul writes, with me in my present difficulty. So Paul, Paul is applauding the church. He is really giving a shout out to them. 
you know, that they have been faithful and are giving. They've supported his ministry. And uh, he's just saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And they said, we appreciate that, Paul. That word share means to partner together with someone. Like we share the joy in the body of Christ. When somebody has something cool, we celebrate with them. When somebody's grieving, see, we share their pain. We grieve with them. Do you get that? Paul is saying you shared. You're common. You've partnered with them by sending a financial gift. We are close partners, Paul is saying, in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says, my present difficulty, um, that, that oppressing, oppressing together, pressure, distress, oppression. My present difficulty, Paul is not whining or complaining. He's just stating a fact that he is under house arrest. He's not going anywhere. And that's his present difficulty. And the, the whole way that went down, you know, they were a mob and they were thrown in prison. They were arrested, beaten in chains. And um, you can see, uh, we showed this a few weeks ago in prison. Here they are, boom. Um, and honestly, we couldn't get a real photograph, so this is an artist rendering. It's the best we can do, man. 2022, 20, it's the best we can do. But anyway, it gives you a little idea. Here the, you can see they're all beat up, man, and they're in stocks, which they were. This isn't an exaggeration. And Paul had his watch on, and his alarm went off at 5 minutes to 12. Silas, it's time to sing, man. Get that tape player out. We're going to sing. Silas says, can't we hum? He said, no, 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 man. We're going to sing, and we're going to sing loud. We're going to push it from the diaphragm. Even though we're all sore, we're cut open, we're going to sing to the Lord because he is so good. You see it? So he had a present difficulty when he's writing this letter, and he backtracks to 10 years earlier when they were in the bottom of a dungeon all beat up. That was his present difficulty again, and it didn't take him out. He continued in his walk with the Lord. And so it Acts, good chapter to read, Acts 16. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and all the other prisoners were listening. You know, when I read that verse, a word jumped out at me. Anybody have an idea what that might be? Well, the word listening. Do you realize that people are watching and listening to you everywhere you go? They're watching and they're listening. And these fellow prisoners that were in the cells around Paul and Silas were listening and they were thinking, what is wrong with these guys? But because of that, that got their attention. There must be something real about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? There's something about it. And you can't contain it. So, so we're going to leave that number three. Are you good with that? Number four, live to give for my future. Verse 17, Paul says, I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. And Paul is, you know, he's not, he's not manipulating. He's not begging. He's, 
he's saying it's kind of a disclaimer coming off of, of the last few verses. You know, the church could have said, you know, he's trying to get more money out of us. And Paul's saying, no, that's, that's not what he was doing. He's encouraging their generosity because it's been so inspiring to him that um, he's kind of echoing what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19. Don't store, Jesus saying this, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in. What Paul is saying is the only money that you will see again after you let it go is the money that you give away. That money's going to return to you with compounded interest in heaven one day. Right? And do you know there's records kept in heaven about your giving? That's pretty cool. There's a, you know, a live church, we record your giving. Uh, so at the end of the year, you get a statement on what was given. Well, there's even some of that going on in heaven. Pretty good, huh? Yeah. So Paul says, you know, this is kind of a paraphrase in verse 17, though I appreciate your gifts, what makes me happiest is the well-earned reward you will have because of your kindness. Paul's fired up because of their faithful giving, they're going to be rewarded in heaven. There's a reward coming. Boom! <laughs> yeah, man, it's in the future. And that's why it's important that we don't get caught up in the present, but we keep our eyes on the future. Jesus Christ, our home in heaven. What are they that's going to be, right? So it, what Paul is referring to, when we get to heaven one day, you're going to have people walk up to you and bang you in the head and say, thank you. And then you say, who are you? I was wondering, I wonder if there's going to be name tags in heaven. Just to kind of help us out a little bit. And they'll say, I know you never met me, but you supported that ministry where I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm here in part because of your faithfulness in giving. You see that? That's what's going to be going on in heaven. We're going to be high-fiving each other. After a thousand years, we're just getting warmed up. 10,000 years. We're still bumping into people we never saw before. Hey, man, I'm here because of you. Isn't that cool? So George Truitt pastored in Dallas back in the day from 1897 to 1944. And he was uh, invited to a wealthy landowner, wanted to, the landowner wanted to pick George's brain. And uh, after a while, having coffee, cookies. The man invited George up to the top of his roof. He had a flat roof where he could look in all directions. And he pointed to the west over here. And he said uh, there were grain fields and there were oil wells sprinkled all throughout that land. And the man said, everything your eye can see in that direction, I own. And then he went to the east. He said, everything you see in that direction, I own. And he went to the south, the same thing, and finally to the north. 
Everything you see out there, man, I own. And um, Pastor Truett put his hand on the man's shoulder and said, let me ask you a question. How much do you own pointing in that direction? Because that's what's most important, right? How much are we storing treasure in heaven? And so Paul is saying, man, the benefits of the giver to the receiver, man, what a, what a gift that can be. And then Jesus kind of echoes this, and that word reward in verse 17, it's a, it's a banking term. It's, it literally means accumulated interest. Accumulated interest. God pays interest on what you send ahead. Jesus says, I want you to receive the reward for your giving. We have an account, and we're recording everything you give. Matthew 10, 42. And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. Isn't that cool? You will surely be rewarded. So when you give even a cup, well, you could say a bottle of water. Yeah? Um, it's, it's making an investment. And we don't do that stuff to, to, you know, just to get a pat on the back. We do it as unto the Lord. Yeah. So God is keeping track. Why? Because he loves us. And he's fired up to reward us when we get to heaven one day. Number five, live to give pleases God. I don't, is that right English? Live to give pleases God? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter because it's good, man. It's good. It's good. It's true. Live to give pleases God. Verse 18, at the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice. Is it acceptable and pleasing to God? So Paul is using an accounting term here again. At the moment, I have all I need and more. Literally, in the Greek, it would say, I have received full payment, and I am full to overflowing. Where is Paul? He's under house arrest in Rome. Is he going to a mall later on in the day? No. Is he going to tap into Amazon, go online? No. No, he's not doing that. But he's saying, I have everything I need because you've been faithful. And in verse 18b, he says, I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus, the financial gifts. They are, he says, a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. What does that mean? They're like a sweet-smelling sacrifice. Paul is going back to Jerusalem when the sacrifices were offered on, in the temple on the altar. Sometimes walking through town, we have some restaurants here, and you'll pick up a whiff of something cooking. Oh, that smells so good. So good. That happens in my house quite often. <laughs> when my wife is cooking stuff up, man, it's so good. And Paul is referring to there was an aroma that would fill Jerusalem during the time of the sacrifices. And um, it's a sweet smelling sacrifice. 
Now, the importance that Paul is putting on this is that sacrifice, that smell represented what? Substitutionary atonement. Because there was coming a day when Jesus would go to the cross to die for your sins and my sins. No more animal sacrifice to, for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus, the Lamb of God. Jesus became our substitute. So this animal sacrifice was a substitute for the sins of the people. And God was fired up because he knew Jesus would go to the cross. And that was a sweet-smelling sacrifice when our sins are forgiven and our sin debt is paid in full. So Ephesians 5.2 echoes that. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ, He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. See ya? So what was going on in the temple, that was a step in front of when Jesus went to the cross. And it says, it was a pleasing aroma to God. Man, aren't you glad Jesus went to the cross? Took your place, my place. So our debt was paid in full. All because of his grace. So, yep, that's where Paul's going. Now, God loves a cheerful giver. Let's read it. We're jumping down to 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Remember, remember, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And you must, you must, that's, that's our responsibility. You, 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 me, me, me. We must... Each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. I would say if we took a poll here this morning and we would say how many have felt pressure to give, I I would say I I don't think a hand would go up. I I don't. And I hope you wouldn't feel the pressure, pressure to give, because that really isn't what it's all about. Because Paul goes on to say, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Do you know what cheerfully means in the Greek? It means hilarious. (laughs) You can't keep it in. It's so funny. I get to give. Woo! That's what that's all about. Right? Man, what a pity. We sang that song, you know, like my religion down, my tradition down. I don't know what your tradition religion was, man, but if you can't give hilariously, you're not in the right place. Right? Because, man, when God does stuff in us, we want to give out of gratitude. So, indeed, and you know what? We said this about six weeks ago, 21% of consistent American church members 
don't give anything to their church. 71% of Christians give less than 2% of their income. Okay. So why do you think Paul and Jesus talk so much about money? Because greed has a grip on us. Greed. And that leads to number six. Live to give comes with God's promise. Verse 19. And this same God who takes care of me will supply of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. That's verse 20. That, actually, I pretend I didn't say that one. Delete it from the tape. Because of their sacrificial giving, Paul is all fired up, and he said, God's going to supply your needs. Because God's proved it to Paul, and because God proved it to Paul, he's, he's saying, yep, that's right. Just as the Philippians kept Paul generously supplied, God used them. So now God will most certainly supply their needs from where his glorious riches. Max of Cato put it this way. We live in a world of broken promises, empty vows, pledges made only to be retracted, assurances given, then ignored. But words tend to tumble. They are autumn leaves in November's wind. Have you seen the leaves falling in November's wind? Yeah. I was thinking those leaves need to hold on. Get some polygrip on there, man. Right? He continues, but you'll never hear them from God. In a world of falling words, his remain. In a life of broken promises, he keeps his. Psalm 12, 6, the Lord's promises are pure like silver refined in a furnace. Purified seven times over. Our God is a promise-keeping God. Others may make a promise and forget it, but if God makes a promise, he keeps it. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. And Paul is saying, God's going to promise to take care of you, right? He will take care of you. There's a song, God will take care of me. Just Google it, you'll find it out there. That word supply, that word supply is cool because it makes full to supply liberally, filled to the brim. And I know all you Greek scholars out there, that word all. Each, every, the whole, all things. All. <laughs> we I have a, so many Greek scholars in this place, it's wonderful. 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 So, Paul is saying, I guarantee, man, God took care of me. He's going to take care of you. And um, he's, he's just fired up. He's fired up over what's going on. Um, even though they were poor, the church in Philippi was poor, um, they gave generously. And uh, there's something about that. When you travel overseas to third world countries uh, and you see how those people live, 
and the lack of things they have and how excited they are to go to church. And they're generous and they sing with passion. I tell you, man, we should all go over to a third world country and just be reminded how God has been good. And we should be grateful. Man, so grateful. Number seven, live to give praise to your God. Live to give praise to your God. Verse 20. Are you ready? Pretend like you're hearing this for the first time today. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Now, when I read that, and I've read that many times, you kind of get lost, you know, when you read that together. Yeah, that's now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Cool, cool. But I have to tell you, man, a couple weeks ago when I read that, something exploded on the inside of me. And I never saw it before. Do you realize that Paul, what he did in the bottom of the dungeon in Acts 16, he's doing it here again, chained up to a Roman guard. He is worshiping the Lord. He is celebrating the faithfulness of God. All glory to God the Father. Forever and ever. He's singing praises to the Lord while he's chained to a Roman guard. He's fired up over the faithfulness of God. And he can't contain it. I don't want to... I don't want to offend this Roman guard. So I'm just going to think about the song. No, no, no. He turned up the volume. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That song was written by Thomas Ken. He was orphaned as a child. He was raised by his sister. How can he write a song like that? Hmm? Vedran Smelovich said, my weapon was my cello. Friends, you and I have a weapon, and it's praise. It's worship. I'm telling you, in the days that we're living, you want to keep your balance spiritually? You need to be an authentic worshiper to the Lord. Um, Joe McKeever said seven things we regularly get wrong about worship. It's Sunday around noonish. No, it isn't. It's 1101. As the congregation files out of the sanctuary heading toward the parking lot, listen closely and you will hear it. It's a common refrain voiced near the exit doors of churches all across the land. I didn't get anything out of that today. I didn't get anything out of that service. I didn't get anything out of that service. I guess her song was all right, but I didn't get anything out of it. Sound familiar? Not only have I heard it countless times over these near 50 years in the ministry, 
I probably said it a few times myself. Like this dry rot in a congregation, like a termite infestation in the building, like an epidemic afflicting the people of the Lord, one of which we seem helpless to stop. Well, let's try. Let's see if we can make a little difference where you live and I live in the churches where we serve and worship. Get into the crater, right? We might not be able to help all of them, but if we bless one or two, it will have been time well spent. Number one, we get wrong. You're, supposed, you're not supposed to get anything out of the service. Worship is not about you and me. It's, about getting, it's not about getting our needs met. It's not about you. Number two, worship is about the Lord. Psalm 29.2, honor the Lord for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. 2A, we are in church to give, not to get. 2B, we are giving glory to God, not to man. 2C, we do so because glory is his right. He is worthy of worship. Just camp out in the book of Revelation for a while and you'll see it, right? Number three, self-centeredness destroys all worship. If my focus is on myself when I enter the church, getting my needs met, learning something, hearing a lesson that blesses me, being lifted by the singing, then Christ has no part in it. He becomes my servant. A typical congregation in the average church today really does think the service is all about them. Sad, huh? Number four, evangelism and discipleship, giving and praying grow out of worship. You see it? That's where hilarious giving comes from, man, worshiping. Number five, we are to give him worship and glory in the ways Scripture commands. Psalm 96, 8, give to the Lord the glory due his name. Singing, praise, rejoicing, praying, offering, humbling, loving, all these are commanded in worship throughout the Bible. Number six, we decide whether we worship upon entering the house of the Lord. Have you noticed that? I can, I can tell you right off the bat, there's many times on a Sunday morning, you'll come down, you'll be coming to church and getting a fight in the car. And then you're already talking to yourself, I can't worship God, I'll be a hypocrite. That little voice in the back of your head, right? Knock, 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 you can't worship, you can't sing today, you'll be a hypocrite. That's a nice game Satan plays. We need to plan ahead of time. I'm going to sing today. I'm going to sing to the Lord. Right? Number seven, remember, worship is a verb. It is an action, active verb at that. And we saw what Paul and Silas did, right? Um, so, so, Why does Satan hate worship? Why does he try to talk us out of worship? Because he used to be the worship leader in heaven. Back in the day, he was the worship director for the angels. And pride got a hold of him, and God had to kick him out along with one-third of the angels, man. There was an insurrection going on in heaven. Pride. And, God, and Satan does not want you to worship God because it haunts him. 
of his past. That's why we've got to come and determine, I'm going to sing and praise and worship God no matter what. Because he's worthy of it. Our staff just went through a, a book with Greg Rochelle, Pastor's Life Church out in Oklahoma. And um, one of the things I enjoyed about the book was his transparency. And at the end of the book, he writes this, I am sitting at my computer with tears forming. I am praying, but not with words. At this moment, I am so aware of God's presence. He is here with me. I am sitting at the kitchen table typing these words, overwhelmed by God. As I'm typing or trying to, I am worshiping him, needing him, crying to him. The fire of God's presence is burning within me, consuming me. When I say consuming me, that's exactly what I mean. It is burning away the worst parts of me. I want to always walk closely with God, enjoying his consistent presence and direction. Friends, that's what I want. I want to pursue the Lord until my last breath. I need him. I need more of him. In Psalm 34.1, in the message, puts it this way, I will bless God every chance I get. My lungs expand with his praise. My lungs expand with his praise. Paul says, now all glory to the Father forever and ever. Forever and ever. Forever and ever. Forever and ever. Amen. Father, we have robbed you so often. when we should be singing out of gratitude and with abandonment, the gratitude that we have towards you, forgiving our sins, transferring us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And Lord, we live to give praise. To you. We find joy in doing that, getting our eyes off ourselves, our circumstances, and putting them on you. Forgive us, Lord, for robbing you of what you so rightly deserve. Will you help us, those watching online and those in this auditorium today? To say from this day forward, I will become a worshiper of Almighty God. Lord, with your help. 
Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen.